Welcome to Hour of Devastation, the weekly Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk all things Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Joe Loudon, and with me as always is Sam Neal. Hiya. How are you doing this week, Sam? Oh, I'm doing okay. Good, good. Good to hear. Nothing really to report. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing of interest ever happens anymore. Yeah, it's it's been a bit of, a bit of one of those weeks for me as well. It definitely seems to be a bit of a slow one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you managed to engage with magic much over the past week? Played some magic with people in person. Oh wow! How, yeah, yeah. How was that? Uh, it was pretty pretty good. Um, we decided to try and do an invite only, socially distanced uh, Friday night magic. Sweet. Uh, and we invited eight people, and then two of those people bailed. <laughs> um, so there's six of us, and we played four rounds of Legacy. Oh, nice! That sounds yeah. really good, actually. Yeah, so we put two um, two tables that we'd normally set out together, so you're two meters apart when you're playing. Yeah, and everyone's got hand sanitizer and masks. Um, yeah, worked really well. It was nice to just actually play magic in front of other people, not just over a webcam. Yeah, totally. So that was really good fun, and uh, I didn't play against Arkham's Australia once. Yeah, fantastic. So that's always a, always a bonus. <laughs> Legacy yeah, really is um, <laughs> Yeah, right. If you don't play against Astro, it's great. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had a really good time. And everyone else seemed to enjoy it, so I think we're going to continue doing it because it was relatively easy to do. Sweet. Everyone had enough space; like you could easily stay apart from each other. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really good fun. Hopefully, we can carry on doing it in the future. Yeah, I hope so. That that's really good. I mean, I've seen a a couple of a couple of places on um, like pictures of places online where people have started trying to run events and stuff now and then. Um, Catherine Point Games near uh, near me up in Darlington. Uh, so they've been running some some limited limited only, uh, like invite only events, and they've been looking fantastic from what I've seen. They've got a really good setup there. Everything is like you know, like you said there. People are wearing masks and and gloves, and there's you've got like plastic separating the tables and stuff. And looks like they're running a really good shop there. And I think it's a fantastic idea just having having it open to like either invite only or uh, like not open to the public. So only the people playing in that event can be in the store on that day uh, you keep it to you know relatively small like eight people that means that if anything does happen then you know you've got a small group you know you, you can you can trace things fairly easily yeah that's that's the idea just keeping it as small as possible and it's, it's definitely doable yeah you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to have quite a large play space so keeping everyone separate is uh it's fairly easy so yeah it's just nice to have you know friday night magic back i guess good good yeah. yeah, it's really good to hear that you had fun with Legacy as well. Yeah, right. Which well, like everyone had Legacy. I was like, yeah, sure. I, I you know, I, I can put it together. That's fine. Um, and actually, really enjoyed playing it because I didn't play against Arkham's Astrolope. Cool. What did you play against? Uh, goblins. Yeah, that's that's expected. Were they playing Muxus? No, because Muxus basically don't exist in the UK anymore. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> and they're also like sixty quid each. Yeah, because <laughs> they just don't uh, exist here. Yeah. So it was just like kind of. Kind of fun. Goblins were like a matron package and stuff. Cool. But just wastelands and ports and other files, basically. Yeah, the classic, um, classic goblins. Yeah. Uh, a deck I haven't played against in a while, Food Chain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, with a Manipulate Fate. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I lost to that very hard. Because <laughs> I have very little to deal with Food Chain. Uh, and I don't have any counter spells, really. So uh, it was difficult. Um, Grixis Delver. Yeah. Uh, Good old classic. He never drew a Delver of Secrets, so <laughs> pretty good. And I always had a Brook Decay for the um, Dreadhorn Arcanist. Uh, and Grix's Control. Nice. Which I got destroyed by because Toxin Deluge is a card. 
yeah it's really good fun I went one three and had a really good time fantastic that's, that's really good yeah absolutely how's, how's your week been uh, yeah it's been, been good I, I guess I, I said it was a bit of a slow week and I haven't really done much but just thinking about it now actually it might have been a lot more busy than, than I thought it was uh, <laughs> sure yeah so I guess I didn't uh, I just sort of stuck to that arena arena grind trying to just trying to see if I could hit Mythic again um, it would be nice to, to do it two weeks in a row and I, I kind of wanted to do it before Armageddon Remastered came out and just potentially messed up the whole format uh, but I, I managed to do it so Thursday about half an hour before the update uh, I managed to hit Mythic again so I'm very very nice. happy with that managed a nice uh, a nice eight one run up through um, up through the top of Diamond um, to get into Mythic with the blue white auras deck which I think is fantastic I think if you're playing best of one I think that might just be the best deck currently because it has such a good game against goblins which I think yeah. Goblins is, is far and away the best, or at least has been the best combo deck. Um, and yeah, you want to play a deck that, that's that's good and good against combo decks, uh, good against aggro decks, and the amount of just life gain and just how quickly you, you, you build up your your creatures with all of the auras is, is yeah, it, it's surprising how good it is. So I would definitely recommend checking that out if you want a, a relatively easy to put together deck uh, a really relatively easy to play deck as well to, to get up to mythic but i'm super, yeah, super Sweet. happy good That's job two months in a row made mythic yeah. <laughs> so i guess i'm just trying to stay on the train well it took you three years of saying you were going to do it to actually do it yeah so, <laughs> now you've done it two months in a row yeah right? now i'm here now i'm here i may as well make it last right yeah absolutely yeah. sweet uh so yeah so then i guess that was the other big thing was the the update so armaget remastered is now live on magic arena uh, and it, it's interesting, so I've, I've done one draft so far, uh, I went 7-2 in that. Um, the format's interesting, it feels like it is better than Armageddon was, but not quite as good as that was just Armageddon plus Hour of Devastation. So it feels like it's somewhere in sure. between, but the aggro decks are still really good. That's kind of fine, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's... I mean, the problem with Armageddon was that it was all aggro decks and it was really boring. Yeah, 100%. So... Whereas, you know, our devastation aggro decks weren't great because the format just slowed down so much. Yeah. So it's it's I guess it's nice to have a mix. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it, it, it hits quite nicely. Um yeah, I think my, my biggest my biggest gripe is that like the I guess the, the game board, the playmat or whatever you want to call it. Like the arena where you like you yeah, 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 the setting, the theme, uh is is pretty horrendous. Um so there's <laughs> like half so half of the uh, I guess the setup is it's Armageddon as the Hecma's fallen, and there's a sandstorm blowing in, and there's lots of locusts blowing in. So, the right half of the screen is just moving constantly, and it's just this stream of sand and locusts, and yeah, it makes me it makes genuinely makes me really dizzy and gives me motion sickness to look at. Yeah, it's pretty unpleasant just, to to look at for a long period of time. Yeah, it's bizarre. So I I even like I went on the Reddit and saw there was like a thread on there where other people were complaining about it. So. Hopefully, Wizards take note and, and do does something because that's that's something that's genuinely putting me off playing more limited because I just do not want to play on that board at all. Um, it's yeah, it kind of sucks like when you're trying to play a game but you can't look at the screen because it makes you dizzy. Well, yeah, like you said, like it sounds like a lot of people are having the same yeah. issue. <laughs> so I, I guess if it, you know, people 
kick up enough fuss about it, they'll probably do something about it. it but well, I mean, like, it's been true of Arena for ages, where we just wish you could turn off the animations and yeah, stuff. Definitely. I wish there was just a mode where you could. I understand it's difficult because obviously the animations play on both screens. So like, if you turned yours off, you'd still be like there'd be like a lag yeah. while the animation, I guess, plays for your opponent. But it, they're just they can just be so unpleasant sometimes. And the uh, like the full art cards, the way that when you hover over them, they kind of move a bit. Yeah. It's all of it's just kind of a little bit unpleasant to look at. So it'd be nice if you could turn those things off, especially the swarm of sand and locusts. Yep. <laughs> it's not fun, not fun, fun at all. Uh, but yeah, besides that, uh, I'd be I did my my box opening stream for Double Masters on Friday night. Yeah, uh, and that was that was really fun. I had quite a few people in the chat watching watching me uh, get. I mean, I didn't get hosed, but it wasn't the best box ever. Certainly wasn't the worst box either, though. What did you get? What did you get? So my my box toppers, which I guess is the the all important exciting bit, uh, were a Urza's power plant and a Khan liberated. Nice. Super super happy with those. They're yeah. some of my, my favourite ones, especially that Khan. I love that Khan. I think you're the only person I know that actually likes that Khan. Oh. I mean, I like it as well, but everyone just seems to be uh, talking about how how derpy he looks. And I think he looks cool. He does look cool. He looks like Khan is supposed to look. He looks like Khan looked. In Magic's past, like, it's fantastic. Yeah, he looks like Khan Silver Golem. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark Tiden's amazing. So, like, if, if, I don't know. I, I think this, this is the this is my issue with it. I think a lot of people only really know what Khan looks like from the the newer cards. For everything from like Muradin forward, like how he's depicted there, he's this yeah. this this sharp, angular, no pants wearing robot. Whereas, like, <laughs> go look at his face on miscalculation, like. <laughs> Just, yeah, he yeah. looks ridiculous, which is which is exactly how Khan should look. Some sort of silver clown, he's great. Yeah, just kind of stupid. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, big fan, big fan of those. Uh, and then like I guess the the other hits from my box, I got a doubling season, uh, I got a land tax, uh, I got an Atraxa. Yeah, uh, just a bunch of like reasonably playable commander cards, and yeah, just like a bunch of cards that. I've come down in price quite a bit, which is fantastic. That's great for accessibility for formats. Uh, but I'm, I'm fairly certain 12 months' time they'll be double what they are now, so I'm happy. Double? Yeah. Double, you say? That is, that is yeah, the theme. Yeah, I mean, that's basically how I've been interacting with the set, is just buying loads of foils that are far cheaper than they have any right to be. Yeah, absolutely. Like, paying paying 20 quid for a, a foil Avacyn is <laughs> kind of stupid. Yeah, Like, definitely. paying 20, 27 euros for a foil doubling season is... Um, a, a good, a good investment. I feel yeah. it's definitely gonna be more than that in a few months' time, Absolutely. which is what we said last week. Yeah, definitely. It's why, it's why the set's so good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, big, big fan. Big, big fan of Double Masters. Like we said, <laughs> spent like an hour talking about last week. Uh, it, like all of it last week. Yep. <laughs> it's fantastic. Big, big fan of that. So should we should move on to what we're going to discuss this week? Yeah. Go on. Go on. Yeah. So this week, well, I guess today we had. Uh, Mark Rosewater's annual State of Design article went up, so this was the, the State of Design 2020. And it is a state. Exactly, yeah. State is a very <laughs> apt apt term. It's something that we have, we've talked to death on here, pretty much. Um, you know, I don't think we're alone in, in feeling disappointed and, and confused and upset and angry, I guess, in, in places. The just yep. the absolute state of, of magic in 2020. So it, it, was, it was quite interesting to see you know, 
coming from what's he coming from Mark Rosewater, seeing his his take on it all, and there there are going to be some very very sterile takes. He's he's Mark Rosewater. Yeah. He's he's head of R and D. He's not somebody who's going to come out and, and badmouth the company and badmouth the people he works with because of all of the mistakes they've made. And he also has has access to a lot of data, a lot more data than any of us do. So, I think. I, I do think that although some of the takes are, are quite sterile and quite weak I think they're probably quite fair in most places as well because they have that data, they have the surveys that have been filled in by you know, casual players who buy booster packs here and there and you know they have the surveys filled in by the likes of us, the heavily invested players as well so they, they do get to see all of the data and all of the, all of the opinions and feedback from everybody so I think it was it was quite an interesting article, so I, I guess I'm I'm just gonna just gonna run through it, and I know it's not something that you've read yet, so we're gonna gonna get your your hot takes on on what Mark had to say. I'm just gonna very loudly say some swear words, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll start off with the overall magic design. So you broke this down into highlights and lessons. So for the highlights, he said that a lot of magic was purchased and played. Alright, hang on <laughs> That can't be like That happens all the time <laughs> That's always a good thing oh, That is okay, true, okay. that is true uh, But under that heading it says that This last year, more people played Magic than ever before More Magic mm-hmm, product good. was purchased than ever before More mm-hmm. digital Magic play Happened than ever before And Magic as a game is thriving now, are you are you surprised by that? Do you agree um, with that? I mean, I feel I'm like it's probably it. very data-driven, objective points. So, I don't know if you can really disagree with it. But I what's mean, your take I on can, that? I can disagree with the presentation of it. Yeah, agree. I think to suggest that magic is thriving based on the back of that data is it's basically just a straw man argument, right? <laughs> like, it's like, oh, it must be thriving because more things. You've got to also consider the fact that more products than ever has been released this year. Yeah. Um. Arena has only been, you know, functional, you know, within the last 12, 18 months. So, like, of course, more people playing online. Um, online magic has been more relevant in terms of competition than ever, has been more important to the way that people play magic than ever. So, like, of course, it's going up. I don't really think it, it means much to suggest that, like, they're releasing more products than they ever have ever in their existence as a company. Yeah. And therefore obviously more people are buying stuff because there's more to buy. Yeah, definitely. Right? Like couple that with the fact that like everybody eighteen and over in America got a thousand dollars for free from the government. Yep. And we know how magic players work. <laughs> we have money, we we spend it. Yeah. <laughs> like Yeah, and also of course online plays up because people can't leave their houses. Yeah. So duh. I don't know, I just don't like, you know, magic is thriving because of these things that, like, what, sure, like, probably every other hobby is thriving under these circumstances currently, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's something that always gets, uh, I guess, uh, alluded to when we talk about magic in in, in the pandemic times and the current times we're in, is, is that you look back at, like, the recession of 2008 and tabletop gaming and, and magic and board games and RPGs and all, all that sort of stuff, did absolutely fantastically like they really thrived as an industry where most other things fell dramatically and once again it seems to be true here again you know you might not be able to go out and play like you could have done last last time but now because of arena because of magic online because of things like spell table there are still ways to play there are still ways to to spend your money and 
feel like you're getting your money's worth. So it, it totally makes sense that digital play is up, that more magic product has been purchased, and that yeah, the, the game the game looks and feels like it like it's thriving. Yeah, I, I, you know maybe it is thriving, but I think it, it, suggesting it is a little bit suggesting it's be, like because of design is certainly a take. Well, he hasn't said it specifically because of design there. Sure. Yeah, I guess he's just saying it's thriving, but it's like, we, we all kind of know why. It's not like magic's doing great, it's that these sorts of things are all doing great because of the circumstances in the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I mean, to, to be to be fair to him, he does say in, in that, that small paragraph there that this doesn't mean that there aren't issues to address, uh, but he wanted to take a moment to appreciate that magic is being embraced and enjoyed by so many people, so... Sure, that's fine. That's true. <laughs> well, so next up was there was plenty of design innovation. So from new mechanics like adventure or mutate to new th- themes like fairy tales or monster world and new products like Jumpstart, uh, Morrow feels like they've done a good job of pushing in new directions and finding new ways for our audience to enjoy the game. Enjoy is certainly a strong word. <laughs> play is a word I would use. Yeah. <laughs> there are new ways to play magic, all of them are wrong and broken (laughs) but yeah they've innovated they've just not stress tested it enough essentially yeah for sure i think that's that's it like like the objective statement there was plenty of design innovation is correct 100 percent, that is correct innovation doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get things right but you can't doubt you mean you can't deny the amount of innovation there's been in the past 12 months yeah definitely definitely Cool. So next up, we got booster fun and collector packs were a hit. So he says that the initiative has been wildly popular with players embracing new cards with gusto, and that collector boosters especially have been a big hit, selling out every set. Uh, have they? A- apparently like, so. Yeah. I we struggled to sell most of ours. Yeah, cause... but you, you distributors purchased them from Watsy Find, didn't they? And then you purchased them from distributors. Yeah. But... We haven't sold them all because you know they're expensive and yep. people don't want to spend fifteen pounds, eighteen pounds, twenty pounds on a booster pack. Yep, like a lot. They'll, they'll buy one. <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to buy like loads of the money. Or maybe they have. I don't know. I'm. It's obviously a very small sample size, but yeah, I haven't seen a lot of people buying a lot of boost packs. That's it. I think. I think again, like from a purely data-driven perspective, what do you have access to a lot more data than? than anybody working in a single store will have. Um, and I guess, you know, if they say they've sold out, then you kind of have to believe them that, yeah, they, they sold all of the, all of the, I guess, all of the amount that they uh, they printed and allocated to sell to distributors, they've done so. So good job there, I guess. Yeah, maybe they... I wouldn't... Describing them as a hit is a bit far, but <laughs> if they've sold, then sure. Cool. So I guess... We'll move on to the lessons next for this year. So they said lessons. First up, we had balance issues. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you did. So I feel I do feel like Mark does take a bit of a cop out here. He starts the paragraph by saying it isn't really his area, so he's not going to dig into why the why of what happened. Okay, as he said okay. that, which is isn't that isn't this one of the main reasons that people would be reading this? Yeah, to yeah. figure out what the hell went wrong with Oko and Once Upon a Time and Veil of Summer and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if if I agree with what he did there, but I, again, I, I do understand it a bit. So he he says that there are things that vision design did that made balance particularly challenging. 
and all you can really say is say to this is that lessons uh, say to the lessons that they're working hard to correct the issues that led to this year's mistakes good it's good to hear yeah uh, definitely. I'll believe it when I see it <laughs> yeah I think is all I can say about that yeah because you know we after we had the the sort of after we had the sort of explanation of why Oko existed in the way that it did and then we had you know companion and Uro and a bunch of other completely busted things it's hard to take that statement at face value yeah for sure without understanding yeah. that they have made mistakes said they're sorry about making mistakes and they're trying to work on it and then continue to make mistakes um, and it's not even just like oh we've made a huge mistake and the next set has a big mistake we didn't have time to change it's like people complained about Teferi from the off and then we're what, 18 months down the line and we still have heinous problems so it's yeah it's, it's that's a difficult one to sort of yeah, take definitely. I guess I think especially given how how the game works, how R and D works, and everything is planned and and produced so far in advance that it's going to take a long time to see those changes. So, all all they can really do now is say, "Oh, we are well working hard to correct the the issues, to correct our mistakes." But who knows? Who knows when we're going to see that? Like, does that mean we're going to see that in sets that are released next year, or does that mean? That sets that they're working on now, are are, are they? Is like is that where the mistakes are going to be fixed? So, it's, yeah, one of those so difficult fact, ones. What does it where, even mean? Yeah, that, that's it. I, I don't. I don't like, know. What does, what does like we're fixing mistakes mean? Like, does that mean you've overhauled your entire design philosophy because your design philosophy is the thing that led to all these mistakes and all these people being frustrated with constructed magic, or is it? we're going to elevate everything up so we can print another copy, like a, a, a functional version of Oko, and everything else around it is so much more powerful and it doesn't matter anymore? Is that, those, is that a fix? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think because there have been so many so many mistakes and so many potential issues, I think that's going to mean a lot of different things. Like we're, we're working hard to correct the mistakes. So, I, I don't know. I don't really think there's anything we can do but, but wait and see, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So next up, we got we need to get better at thinking about the ramifications on all the different formats. So you said, <laughs> yeah, please, please do. So you said, for much of Magic's life, R and D could design cards for standard and limited and call it a day. Times have changed, and we need to adapt how we design to better reflect this new reality. Because you keep pushing everything to the nth degree. <laughs> That's yeah. the problem. Like, yeah, because you know when you had. Um, like Battle for Zendikar and Ixalan, you could just design standard cards with impunity because clearly the power level you're aiming for was very, very low. Yeah. But if you're going to push the power level, you need to understand that basically every format is just cards from 2019 and 2020 now. Um, and calling back to the fact that you could just design standard limited cards and not be a problem suggests that there is a deep-seated problem in the way that you design cards and the power level that you're aiming for. Yeah, definitely. Because the power level you're aiming for is insane, <laughs> and is massively impacting every format, including vintage. You know, yeah. Um, and it's not—it's not just like a, a design that fits well into vintage. It's not like a steel, whatever the the thing is that went into vintage, or like snare thopter, like that went into shops because it just happened to fit. It's yeah. just like this card is so good, you're wrong not to play it in this format, which has got black lotus in it. You know, <laughs> like you need to understand. Like I said it at the time with Lurus, like. 
the fact that no one at any point considered that Lurus and Black Lurus was an absurd combo yeah. is a problem. Like, if you're not even considering the most important, powerful, and influential magic card that's ever existed when designing new sets, that's a problem in your design philosophy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the fact that they they managed to find a way to make Black Lotus even better, like, I know. 25, 26 years later. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, how, But how could you not see that? <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so... It's so... I just... I can't understand what's going on. And obviously I know I don't, and there's many things, and maybe I'm just, you know, flinging shit where it doesn't need to go, but, like, how yeah. can you not see that that card is just so busted with Black Lotus? Yeah, for sure. And that not be a consideration? Uh, I, I think it's, it's, there is a bit on that I think we will get into a little bit later. But Excellent. Yeah, I think it, it's good to hear him say that times have changed and, and they need to adapt. And I hope that that's something that they realised, you know, like last year and started working on, a, on last year as opposed I mean, to like... He's just realised within the past couple of weeks. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh crap! Everything's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know, but it could just mean like that. That's such a sort of broad statement. And obviously, I know he can't give specifics, and he's only one man, and it's not really his job, really, um, to design all of these specific cards. I'm sure he has nothing to do with most of the mistakes. Um, but like sorting the problem could just be like we'll just properly kill vintage legacy and modern, and just completely ignore it. Um, and that's also a fix, right? Like you don't have to worry about printing Teferis and Okos and Uros yeah. if you just don't care about Legacy anymore, yeah. which has been kind of true for a while. But is they could just like definitively make the decision to no longer support those formats instead of just not supporting those formats in their actions and saying they still support them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But again, we'll see. We'll see. So his final one, I guess, for for the overall Magic design was that. Uh, the year could have been more mechanically cohesive. So he says <laughs> okay. that we're still adapting to a, a blockless world and that having a year where every set occurs on a different plane and has a unique set of mechanics is a challenge to create a mechanical flow throughout the year. Yeah, okay, cool. Which I, th- I think is fair. I think yeah. this is, as far as I'm aware, this is the very first time they've had, you know, if we're, we're taking a year to be, I guess, yeah, we're taking a year to be, th- be this year. Uh, it's the very first time that they've had a year where every single set released in a year is is on a completely different plane. Some of them are brand new planes, uh, and yeah, they all have unique mechanics running throughout them. And themes. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm fine with this. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with this like being part of the problem. Yeah. Um, you, you can you can kind of see it right because like based on what we know about the way that sets are designed. I can imagine that stuff like Theros Beyond Death and Ikoria were in visionary design while they were still doing the three three set per block model. Yeah. So like, or at least the two set. So like, you know, um, Amon Kurtix and like they were definitely designing that point. So like, if yeah, you had... definitely. I, Theros was going to be a, a two a two block set, and then one of them got nixed, and, and Ikoria I think got pushed forward. Next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, I didn't even intend that, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and like uh, that makes sense to me because the the set doesn't feel cohesive. It just feels like a bunch of Theros law things just shoved into. Because like Constellation just got lost, right? Yeah. And I'm sure that there are probably more than two Titans, and 
the planeswalkers all just sort of felt mashed together and it, it di- didn't feel mechanically cohesive. Yeah, um, for sure. But I, I think at least with, with Theros, there were uh, there were there were bits which we saw in, in earlier sets. Um, so stuff like the like the Cavalier cycle having like lots of pips and the temples. I think there was some definite like foreshadowing there. Like w- as soon as they released the, t- the temples, and we knew, you know, we saw, we saw the pips. We saw uh, you know potentially some some creature types that are relative to Theros. We assumed oh Theros is probably coming. At least there's at least there's some synergy here. Whereas I think if you look at like, if, yeah, if you look at the, look at Eldraine, look at Theros, look at Ikoria, we, we don't know about Zendikar yet, but those three planes, there's there's no play between them at all. Yeah, they're just completely divergent from each other. Yeah, and there's no real, yeah, there's no real synergy, which is why you keep saying like, you know, one of the better decks in standard is Team Adventures, which just has Eldraine cards. Yeah, because there's there's no cohesion between the the sets at all. Um, outside of just blue green cards are good, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's very little to tie them all together. Um, whereas you know, previously with like your block sets and stuff, you'd at least you'd at least have two or three sets together that would make sense and have like cards that work together. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, everything just seems a bit up in the air, and I, I guess you know it's it's probably a very tumultuous time yeah. for Watsi because they're still working out the way that they want sets to be released. And for what it's worth, I am a fan of like the single set blocks. Yeah, same. You get a brand new limited environment every single yeah. time, and I love it. Yeah, and you get to see more of the multiverse, right? You get to see more cool characters and cool planes. Yeah. But definitely. also, that must be incredibly stressful because before you'd have an entire year that was just Ravnica. Well, yeah. I mean, we know we have, right? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. like, or you'd have an entire year that was just Zendikar or just Innistrad. And now it's like you've got a whole year that's at least four different planes. Yeah, um, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, it just it allows them to. Without having blocks, it just allows them to do more, more. I guess you know, yeah, sure, more experiment. But it allows them to do things where they're not tied to just having like two or three sets on one plane. Like you know, we could, if they wanted to, they could spend a year on somewhere. You know, they, they could turn around and go, "Oh, Zendikar Ryzen is is the set that comes out in September, and then the next set after that is also on Zendikar, and then the next three sets after that are also on Zendikar. It's it's Zendikar year, and then after that they could have." You know, another year where you've got four different planes and they're not tied to, to the, the strict rules that they had before and I really like that, just having that flexibility Yeah, definitely it's, it's a good thing and I am more than happy to allow any of the hiccups they've had yeah. because of that to exist because it's a big change in, in the way that magic is released and exists I guess. Yeah, so, for sure. That one I'm perfectly fine with. <laughs> Absolutely, same here so now we're going to dive into specific sets, so it's going to be interesting to get some takes here, I think. So we start with Throne of Eldraine. Uh, oh, so the highlights from Throne of Eldraine, uh, Mark says that the top-down Dale design was a hit. Correct, that I agree. The audience enjoyed the softer tone. Yep. Uh, and that adventure cards were loved. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, as I've said, I said previously, um, Eldraine is one of my favourite planes. I think Throne of Eldraine as a set is great. I think the the lore elements to it and the characters are excellent, and it's honestly just one of my favourite magic sets. Yeah, uh, mistakes excluded, I guess. But yeah, adventure is not good. Yeah, it's I, an I interesting like it's a thing I imagine they've tried to do before because like it's flashback, but it, it was a spell and now it's a permanent, and like that's certainly interesting, and I think it's a cool design for cards. But the way it mechanically works in a game of magic is kind of bad. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it is that like on paper, it sounds like a really cool design. 
and it it totally yeah. makes sense you know like yeah like that's a really good way of putting it like oh it, it has flashback but now it's a creature like that that's great that's cool that sounds yeah. cool yeah but I think when you do, when you really look at it and break it down into how it interacts and how it interacts with the rest of magic, it almost feels to me like they're doing that thing again where, oh, now you can just have a spell for free because it's it's yeah. just it's just like having an extra card in your hand, but except it doesn't cost yeah, anything because yeah. it's already half of that yeah. card. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's the thing. Like thematically, it's great because it's like, um, but like. Uh, fertile footsteps into beanstalk giant. Yeah, that's great. Like that's that sounds that's really cool. It works, right? Like yeah, it definitely plays into the into the fairy tale story element of the whole thing. You know, you've got the in the beginning and then at the end you've got happily the happily ever after bit. Yeah, and, and it it works really well. Um, but yeah, uh, as an actual like a mechanic that functions in a game of magic, it's just it's doesn't i don't i don't think very well and also like the adventure zone is just a nightmare yeah to, to pass just like okay so this is over here for a bit and then i can cast it from here but i need to also have a specific zone where this goes and like oh this works really well in arena <laughs> <laughs> but but not particularly well in paper magic Arena's amazing like when you've got like a, a spell that you can cast from your your graveyard you've got a spell that's on an adventure you've got a spell exiled that you can cast, like exile from the top of top of your library that you can cast, and then you've got your graveyard, and then you've got stuff in exile, and then you've got your hand. <laughs> it's just like, how yeah. cluttered do you want a UI to be? Yeah, it's all just everywhere. <laughs> it's fine, <laughs> <laughs> but like it actually like kind of work right because because it doesn't matter where they physically appear. Yeah, on the screen on arena, you know that you can cast them, and if you hover over them, like your opponent's got one, and they're all just like a second hand, right? Like things you can cast from your graveyard, from exile, from the top of your library, all appear in. A second hand, basically yep. next to your hand, and that's fine. But you actually do have to differentiate with um, with paper magic, and I think that's kind of a problem. Just like if you, I, I don't know, I, I I don't like the way that it functions in paper magic, which I think is true of a lot of the design mistakes this year. Yeah, yeah, that that's that. I'll definitely give you that one. I think for me, I I think it would be a lot worse if there was. If there was you know, one or two that were just inherently broken, I think like, like, objectively, like, Brazen Borrower probably has to be the best one because it sees play in so many different formats, like not just standard. Yeah. I think if there was something that was more powerful than Brazen Borrower, I think it's it's a mechanic that could uh, potentially potentially be open to to big mistakes being made there. Yeah, I mean, I think like in terms of uh, a mechanic and its, it's I guess, I guess health for Magic as as a game and for the different formats, I think it's it, it's it sits at the perfect power level. Yeah. Where I'm sure we've talked before, like it's great that we get Brazen Borrower that goes, you know, is a one of or two of in Legacy and Modern, and then you have like um, Stomp slash whatever the rest of that card's called, yeah. the Giant. Um, seeing play in Pioneer and a little bit in Modern. Um, and I think that's that's good. That's where you want it to be, and they're all very very playable in standard. And I think from that point of view, it's a great mechanic because it's not quite too inherently powerful, but it's also very very playable. But it's also not the most dominant thing you can do. Yeah, sure. I think it works great. Yeah, o- overall, apparently, adventure cards were loved. I assume this is from from feedback from 
uh, like the, the feedback polls that they do, like the surveys to put out whenever a set comes out. So I assume that's why they've got that data. I did just say it wasn't loved and then described why I thought it was a good mechanic. So. <laughs> cool. So next up we get to the lessons. Uh, so the first lesson oh. is, is the obvious one. Too many elk. Uh, yes. Straight up just says that Oko was a mistake uh, and that making things an elk should have been a negative uh, should have been a negative loyalty ability. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, it probably would still be a little bit too good with that, but yes, I think that's the main issue. Yeah. Yeah, he says that the big takeaway from Oko's design is that they need to be careful with what kind of effects they do with a positive loyalty cost. We can limit it. We can limit negative loyalty effects, but positive ones can just be done turn after turn. Making things in an elk, for example, needed to be a negative loyalty. Yes, yeah. I agree. I mean, I had this on Friday when I was playing um, when I was playing Legacy and I'm playing Oko, and I turned like three things into elk and made like four food, and it was just there, and it got attacked, and it, it just stayed around forever. Like yeah. that's the problem with Oko; it just it never dies, yeah. and it's just always there, turning off really interesting creatures. Yeah, definitely. You know. Everybody's talked about it to, to to death at this point, but it's it's just nice to see, nice to see them acknowledge that yes, it was a mistake, and saying here yeah, we should have done this. This is what it should have been. Here's a potential fix we could have done, and we understand. That's the thing. It's like it's good to hear them not just say it's a mistake, but also why it's a mistake and how they could have corrected it. Yeah. it's nice to have that whole like package when they're talking about something that was a problem. Yeah, definitely. That's good. Cool. Next up in lessons, we've got adamant was forgetful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember Adamant? Remember yeah. how that wasn't a mechanic that anyone cared about ever? <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. I I assume again, I assume this this might have tried to play into the fact that Theros was coming and so yeah, 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 yeah. they I mean obviously it was meant to be a a monocolor limited set, so I think that was obviously a part of it, but you know, they were meant to have this this monocolor theme and oh that works nicely with Theros as well and yeah, Adamant just just hasn't really had an impact on constructed at all. Yeah, it was. It's really strange. It's just like, what if, what if converge, and sunburst, but difficult to do and kind of shit. Yeah. And what if devotion, but bad. Yeah. Like that's how it functioned basically. It's just like, okay, converge isn't particularly good, but it was like easy to do because you're incentivized to play at least two colors in any constructed deck. Yeah, for sure. So like. But then that's the thing, like the, the monocolor payoffs weren't there. Yeah, I, I think there that, were no that good monocolor payoffs. That was the issue with it. I think the the payoffs weren't good enough. Like pumping pumping all all of that same coloured mana into the spell, it just wasn't a powerful enough payoff. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's because the rest of the set and I guess the rest of the mechanics were so powerful. Or were they worried that that was going to be a too, like, too powerful an effect, and wanted to purposely keep it keep it toned down a bit? Are there even any rare adamant cards? I can't think of one. Uh, I can't think of one either. I can't. To be honest, I can't think of any apart from the the mono red burn spell that does like there's, one extra damage if you pump like all red in it. There's the three mana two two artifact creature that if you pay three mana of one color you draw a card. There's the black spell that's basically read the bones but it's only read the bones if you play three black mana um there's a bunch of them that just like they're just a common and uncommon i think i can't think of a rare one maybe that's why it's forgettable because they didn't they never pushed didn't it hard it. enough yeah yeah because like there's loads of adventure cards that are crap but you think about brazen borrower and um 
whatever the giant's called. Well, I can't remember what the giant's called. Bone Crusher Giant. Bone Crusher Giant, yeah. And like Murderous Rider, those are the ones you think of because they were pushed to a rare power level, so they're, they're powerful versions of that ability. Like if Eventual was just um, like the common versions, like Rose like, Thorn. Like, like, I mean, yeah, yeah even then, like, like they're powerful, bad. playable cards. I think I think that was it. I think it's just a, it's the cards which have adamant are, are so just so far off the rest of the rest of the other mechanics it just it didn't have an impact at all because it wasn't powerful yeah exactly i mean to be fair like food wasn't really they only had two cards that were good yeah like food food isn't a good mechanic it's just gilded goose and oko really oh no disagree with that well okay okay sure like familiar. cauldron familiar and yeah sure <laughs> but like it's and, not um, whatever that wolf was called that saw a lot of play Oh yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Adam, it was bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't think it was powerful enough. But you know, they they agree that also there is a lesson to learn there. So that's that's a good thing, I guess. Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, for Throne of Eldraine in the lessons, we have limited. It was kind of slow. Apparently, that was a, a common complaint for them. Was that the limited format was a bit sluggish? Um, and they, they said that part of that was the was because food pe- played such a big role in limited. Uh, and that a related complaint that they had to that was the Witches of a Cauldron Familiar combo. Uh, and because that appeared uncommon, it showed up a decent amount of times in limited games. That's something that they got lots of negative feedback on, apparently. Also, Murphic Secret Keeper? No? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was kind of a problem for a while. Yeah, I think that was that was just like an arena-specific problem because yeah, I suppose so. the bots didn't know how to draft. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think Limited is way down on the lessons you need to learn i think you can just you can just release a mediocre limited format every now and again and it's kind of fine like no one's particularly mad about it you still play it i fully fully agree i I still draft a little train a reasonable amount yeah i draft a fair amount as well and i i do agree that it was kind of slow but i quite like a slower format myself um so i i had no issues with it at all yeah i think i think that's fine but you know it's nice to know they're thinking about it i guess and actually taking feedback on board i suppose totally totally Cool, so next we jump to Theros Beyond Death. So the highlights mm-hmm. for Theros Beyond Death was that players enjoyed returning to Theros and liked the things that they were brought back. Yes, agree. Yeah, yeah, same here. So they said they were excited to see many of the favourite gods back and they loved seeing Elspeth again. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I think the things that they did right with Theros were, were fantastic and then I guess we'll get onto some of the lessons a bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another highlight was that uh, players loved Underworld and Escape. So they really liked what we saw of the underworld setting and, and themes, and then they really liked the escape mechanic as well. Uh, did we like escape? Uh, apparently, Name so a, a it, playable it, escape card that isn't problematic in every format. <laughs> a playable one. Hmm. Yeah, playable yeah. that isn't just problematic, and like I guess Croxer, but Croxer is still very, very good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and sees modern play. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I think. Uro might be the only real problematic one, to be honest. Underworld Breach? Underworld Breach. I guess Underworld Breach itself doesn't have escape. But it's an escape card, right? It's a card that gives your other cards escape. But I, yeah, I don't think that that's what they're referring to specifically. I think they're talking about the the escape mechanic. So stuff like yeah, so stuff like Uro, stuff like Croxer, stuff like Sentinel Lies, Phoenix yeah. of Ash, Elspeth even. Sure, all of which are unplayable garbage. 
Ah, it's Sentinel's right? Eyes is very, very playable in Historic. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's just, it's just Flashback plus Delve. Yeah, totally. Like, that's, that's <laughs> the mechanic, which is not particularly innovative, it's just... It's the same way that adventure isn't particularly innovative in the fact that it's just flashback. Flashback for a creature, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, all, all, um, literally all mechanics are kicker or flashback, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All mechanics are kicker or flashback, and all creatures are Moldrifter or Baneslayer or Baneslayer or both nowadays. Yeah, both definitely. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, according to their data, players love to escape, so. That's cool, that's cool. Um, and then the last one for the highlights was that sagas were a big hit. Interesting. Yeah, I I can fully agree with that. Um, it's a mechanic that was solely designed by Richard Garfield, who completely understands magic and how it should be, be played and designed, and it, it's totally understandable that sagas would be a big hit because of that. Sagas are great. Yeah, yeah. I agree that sagas are great. I just think the design of some of them is problematic on either end of the spectrum because you either have um, really really interesting and cool designs that really well exemplify the lore and the themes of the plane um, that are completely unplayable or you have literally just Elspeth Conquers Death <laughs> which turns out to be one of the best cards in the set somehow um, but uh, yeah it's it's I still think sagas are cool, they're just yeah. not playable really. it, it was the, the same pretty much when they were in Dominaria, though, wasn't it? Like, you know, you had what, like Eldest Reborn saw some fringe constructed play. It was just History Banalia. And History Banalia. Yeah, History Banalia. Yeah. And it's true, Elspeth Conquers Death is the new History Banalia. And that's fine. Like, you know, it, 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 you've got, I guess you've got like stuff like Birth of Miletus sees play in some of the blue white decks too. Um, and then uh, the other Elspeth one. Elspeth Nightmare? That's the one, yeah. That sees sees some amount of play too, and then there's the one that makes zombies as well. I feel like I feel like in in general, the sagas in this set see more constructed play than the sagas in Dominaria saw. But like again, yeah. the again the mechanics just great. It's it's a fantastic flavor wheel on every single one, and they're interesting. I think that there's something that I think will take a very long time to to get old or, or feel old. And I hope I hope they I hope they use them, them sparingly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cool. So we move on to the lessons. So uh, the first lesson was that they missed some returning things. Uh, so they said that the two of the biggest complaints were the absence of bestow, and then the fact that they didn't make new versions of all of the new gods. Um, you know, they, they said that there's only so much space, and they want some feedback on it. They want to know whether they made the right choices for the gods and. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I th- I think again this 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 plays into it intending to be a, a two a two set block, I guess, um originally. Yeah, I know. I I mean, personally I think those things are fine, like especially considering, you know, the whole two set block thing and and this is all kind of crammed into one set. Yeah. Uh I think bestow was medium. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't think it was like and you know, I think it was replaced with reasonable mechanics. Like I think escape is interesting. I think it's a cool mechanic. Um, I think Constellation kind of got forgotten about just by the fact that it was yeah. in the set. Yeah. Because Constellation just didn't really play. You have Stess and Champion and then basically nothing else, yeah. which is kind of a problem. Um, but you know, I don't think I miss Bestow. I think it's still. Because the reason Bestow was cool because it was like enchantment heavy, right? You still yeah. got that feeling from 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 Theros Beyond Death, but I don't, I don't think. I, I guess the enchantments. The fact that things were enchantments didn't really, don't really play into constructive magic. 
in the same way that they did with the original Theros block. Yeah. In that things being enchantments was really important. This time they're not really important, but it's still get you still get that feel. Right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I do think that they they missed one one huge glaring omission from the whole thing though. Go on. Where the fuck was Brimaz? <laughs> yeah, he was kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, everyone loved Brimaz. Not in the set at all, not referenced on anything. Yeah, Catboy. Yeah. The but king, was referenced king of the on, cats. Yeah, but it was referenced on, like, um, Daybreak Coronet from whenever that was first reprinted. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that Brimaz... Because, like, Brimaz is great, because it was, like, one of the only constructed playable cards from Born of the Gods. And was a really cool character, and it's a cat. Like, it's perfect. It's the perfect character to bring back because everyone loves Brimaz. Yeah. Yeah, they could have just reprinted Brimaz King of Arrascals and it would have been great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, I, do I, think, I do think that they... I mean, strangely, he doesn't he doesn't actually mention Brimaz at all in in the, the little lessons uh, column there, but I, I think that's that's the biggest glaring mission for me. Where Where is Brimaz? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Next up, um, again, more missing things. Uh, he says the rest of the Titans were missing. So he says that not only were players unhappy about some of the things that didn't come back, they're also unhappy that something new didn't have everything. Uh, so they said that obviously they introduced Croxa and Uro, but players were unhappy that there weren't at least three more. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair criticism, and I agree. Yeah, uh, I think especially when you've got like one of the sagas, which is, is about the, the fall of the Titans... And there are multiple titans on the artwork for the saga, and yet only two are in the set. Yeah, that's that's confusing and a bit of a flavor fail. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know whether again that's something that because it, it had to get pushed from a, a two a two set block to just the one set. Whether that was something that was scrapped then, or whether that's something that was meant to be intentional and, and planned for the next return of Theros, which inevitably will will come. Players love the love the plane. I imagine it's probably just a meeting because they didn't have space, yeah. and they, they they like there are definitely at least three more titans on file somewhere that just couldn't make it into the set because of um, because of the size of the set, basically. Yeah, for sure. If we had a second set, we'd definitely see the rest of them. Yeah, I think so too. And then our final lesson for Theros Beyond Death is that the story was underwhelming, to say the least. Yeah, what story? What story? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it just it didn't exist, and there were loads of really cool references to it on cards, and like we said with sagas, like Elspeth's Nightmare and Elspeth Conquers Death and the Fall of the Titans, and Timoret does something with the dead. I can never remember the full name of that card. Like we never got any of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the fact that earlier they said that so many players were so happy to see Elspeth back. Uh, so they said that everyone kind of knew that she'd get out of the underworld, but how? And everybody wanted to see it. But then no book was released, so the storytelling fell on only the cards, and the story yep. wasn't very well reflected on the cards at all. Yep. It wasn't even reflected in the trailer, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was just Elspeth Conquers Death. That's the story. <laughs> that's like that's the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, oh, Ashiok's there, yeah, and she's back. <laughs> like, that's pretty much it. Is there nothing about the fact that Elspeth is kind of unplayable? No, no, nothing about that. But, you know, I, d- I don't know. Maybe maybe she'll see some play after rotation happens. Maybe Elspeth's a new Pelucranos. I'd be surprised. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. Cool, so let's move on to Akoria, Lair of Behemoths. Okay. So the highlight for Akoria is that players like the monster theme. Yes. So I I have issue with this one. 
I think okay. that the monster theme could have been a lot stronger, which I, I think we'll get to in the lessons bit because there is there is a bit about that. Sure. Okay. Uh, but you know, they said from from their data that players like the monster theme, so that's cool. Uh, also, players embraced higher complexity. Which, mm, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So they said that it was complicated. So stuff like uh, like mutate was complicated, but it was flavorful and it was fun. And the feedback that they got was, while they shouldn't do that sort of thing all the time, if we did it on occasion and it was tied strongly to an enjoyable flavour, then it was something that people want to see again. Okay, sure. Okay, yeah, I I agree, I think, with that. Yeah, I, I think I do as well. It's I think Mutate is definitely one of the most complicated mechanics to grok. Um, yep. Especially, I think, it's one of those things where it might be one of the strange magic things where it's very easy for a new player to to grasp a hold of what it is, but for somebody who's entrenched and understands, you know, the, the rules miniature of, of how of how magic works and how cards interact and how layers almost work, I think a lot of people like that may try to overthink it or try to tie it into their. I guess their their previous understanding of, of rules, and I think they might try to make it more complicated than it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. But yeah, I, I think yeah. I think it, like it's mutate plus companion plus all these other things that's the problem. It's, yeah. it's too much complexity in different places, not just one really complex thing. Absolutely, absolutely agree there. But yeah, I, I think I think I definitely agree with that. That if if they wanted to do this and ramp up the complexity. If they have flavor, if they have good flavor justification for doing that, then yeah, I, I think that's that's fine. And I think the way Arcoria's played out, I think it was it was yeah generally as far as like limited and and, and how the mutate mechanic works in general, I think it could have gone a lot worse. So yeah, I think it's definitely a positive there. You also said that players enjoyed the limited gameplay. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I agree mm. on that so much. Um, mm. yeah. Cyc- cycling was certainly a bit frustrating once it once that a was figured problem, out yep. yeah yep. but you know hey pe- people people love cycling cycling is is a, is a very good powerful mechanic usually uh and yeah i guess if the data says that players loved it then players loved it and then finally so he's got four for the highlights here is that uh he, he phrases it quite weirdly weirdly here so he says that but players fancied the tie-in that makes me feel gross yeah, exactly. Uh, it's quite, a, quite, quite, a, quite a very strange phrase to use there. I think. Uh, obviously, he's talking about the the Godzilla tie-in from Ocean of the Set. So he said that was them experimenting with something, uh, and that they were a bit unsure about how the audience would would feel about reskinning some of the cards of IP from outside of, of Magic. But apparently, it was, they got a pretty positive response. So overall, it was, it was very good feeling. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that sort of thing again in the future. Yeah, I mean, that's fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was one of the best things about Corio. All art cards, like. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've come around to it a bit more now, but it still still just doesn't doesn't quite feel right. Yeah, I understand that, but I, I think it's it was a good implementation of it, at least. Yeah, I agree there, definitely. Let's get into the, the lessons now, then, the meat of it when it comes to Corio. Mm. Uh, so, first up in the lessons is companions. Just the word companions. Yep. Uh, so, they've said that. It wasn't just the biggest mistake of the set; it was the biggest mistake of the year. 
So yeah, yep. straight up Zed made something that was so environment warping, and not just in one format, but almost all formats, that they had to errata how the mechanic worked, and that's a pretty big mistake. So you said that the, the big lesson uh, is to make sure that design has the opportunity to try new and bold things, but they have to think about the scope of what they're doing, uh, what they're asking the rest of R&D to sign up for. So saying part of the job of design is not overtax and play design, and that in Ikoria, that's what they did. That you realise that they're experimenting with raising the complexity for players, but they didn't realise that they were also raising the complexity for themselves as well by doing that. Yeah, yeah so I, I think this is a, a really good paragraph where you just kind of throw up their hands and say, look, we, we make mistakes, we tried to innovate too much, uh, we tried to do something big and exciting and, and interesting and complex for players, but we missed that, we were making it too difficult for ourselves to do that while we, we juggle so many other balls as well. Okay, cool. That's, that's a good justification, I think, yeah. for what happened. I think so. I think so. I, I think, I, again, like it's it's good to see them admitting these things and, and just explaining what went wrong. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So next up, he says that there was some confusion over what kind of monster set it was. So this is what I was hinting at before. I think that, yeah, sure, players might have liked the monster theme, but I, like many other players, assumed that this was going to be the kaiju set because they, you know, they they said for ages. So this is this is the Godzilla set. This is the this is this is the kaiju set. This is the kaiju plane. This is huge monsters smashing into each other. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't at all really like there weren't actually any kaiju in it. Like you know you you've got the uh, I guess the the elder beasts or whatever that whatever that mythic cycle was. You've got like five five monsters which I guess you could call kaiju and then everything else was just kind of monsters and it was more about mutating creatures and building your own monstrous creature than it was kaiju so I, I think that's something where at least for a lot of people they seem to feel like they didn't really deliver what people thought that was being promised to them and I think it's just that that miscommunication yeah. issue that happens a lot it's, it's almost iconic monsters all over again yeah yeah it doesn't do what it Said it was going to yeah. When you, I guess, yeah. I guess even like right down to like the like the trailer for like the set and like the set information and stuff. I can remember like the stream where they were showing off the set off the set. Like there was like a like phone news reports where you had like monsters stomping through cities and stuff and having the tie in with Godzilla. To me, that's like you know it's it's kaiju. It's going to be huge. We're going to see like I don't know like. 12 12s for 8 mana are uncommon and stuff and we'll just see all of these massively started creatures but that just wasn't the case at all uh, I, I think it's probably for the best that that wasn't the case but yeah, I, I do think there was definitely a bit, of, a bit of miscommunication there Yeah, I agree. and then finally for Ikoria they said that there was some unhappiness over the disconnect with the story uh, so yeah, another complaint that they got was that the cards and the book actually contradicted each other on, on several occasions um, oh yeah, so they, yeah, they said that they're looking for ways to avoid disconnects like that happening in the future. What were the differences? Does it say? Because I, I've I've not read the book. Uh, it doesn't. Yeah, it it doesn't say what the differences are, but uh, I think it's stuff like 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 Luca. So obviously Luca on card Luca on cards is is like you know he's he's depicted as as like a hero as like the you know your your good your good face of the set, but yeah, he's a he's a bit of a wrongin. Oh, for okay. most of the story. That's interesting. Yeah, he's a bit of a wrong one for most of the story, and then does a, does a face turn towards the end, apparently. Oh, 
Because I guess um, there's the what weaponized the monsters is kind of him being a baddie, but yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I guess I didn't really pay attention to the story. Yeah, that that's it again. Like when when the story's locked behind a paywall, and yeah. it's, it's far more difficult to access. Then uh, there's there's going to be disconnect there, whether or not that's cards contradicting themselves or just people not really knowing the story or caring much about the story yeah if I can't I think you, you're definitely going to get that disconnect there yeah definitely but yeah it's good to see that you said at least you know we're looking at ways to help avoid disconnects like this happening in the future yeah I I think there's quite an easy fix there just bring back the weekly magic stories they yep. were fantastic just let us have the story for free please because we enjoyed it and we're not yep. going to pay for it <laughs> basically even when it's bad it's good advertisement because people talk about it and that's what they are at the end of the day it's an advert for your game yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So next up, we come to Corset 2021. Uh, a few things here. The highlights it said that players enjoyed the terminology changes. So everybody loved hound changing to dog, and everybody loved that mill was finally a keyword. Correct. Yes, I agree. Yeah, agree. Nothing to talk about there. All good. Uh, next, they said that players loved the reprints. Yes. Uh, so yes. yeah, Grim Tutor, Ugin, Azusa, Solemn Salakrum, yep. Scavenger News, Contain Reviews, etc. Says the common reply was, do more of this, please. Yes, correct. Fully agree, more of that. Core sets should be mostly reprints and mostly good reprints. Big, big fans. Yes. Uh, so you said that players liked Planeswalker vertical cycles and frames. Uh, I have no opinion on this, really. I think they were... They, were, they happened, and uh, now I have more things to sort into different boxes because they have different frames. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, I don't really care if if everything has a special frame, then nothing has a special frame. So. Well, exactly. Yeah. You know. Eh, whatever. Uh, and then finally, in the the highlights, is that shrines were a hit. Uh, I'm sure they were for some random casual commander players. I know we sold a lot of Sanctum of Alls and the shrines, particularly commander decks that I'm sure they're going to take apart in about two weeks when they realise it's actually not that good. But yep. yeah, returning mechanics and returning card types and cycles from old sets is always great. So yeah, absolutely. Sure. Says that, you know, Maro says that the most common request he gets on his blog is return to Kamigawa. So that, that's a tall ask, so I would assume that it's, it's not going to happen, or at least not for a very long time uh, but he says you know at least they could give Kamigawa fans a, a taste of the plane by creating, creating brand new shrines so you know again like more more of that sort of thing if you haven't got plans to go to a plane for you know a number of years you, you can at least drop something with a bit of art for that plane in a core set you know or, or like if you're not if you're never going to return to a plane again you, you can drop hints uh, or just just you know slices of life from those planes in a core set like I can't imagine we're ever, ever, ever going to go back to Rabia, but you could probably put a bit of artwork from that plane in a corset somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I think I think doing stuff like that is great, and the corsets are obviously the perfect place to do it. Yeah. So we've got two lessons to learn from corset 2021. So first up is issues with Teferi. Uh, so okay. Yeah, they said that when they first announced the corset, uh, th- th- they would have Teferi as the face of the set. They got a lot of worried comments from players. Uh, he says straight up, just says, you see, there are a number of powerful but annoying Teferi cards. Correct. So players, yeah. were worried that, <laughs> players were worried they were going to get a bunch more. And part of that was tied to the fact that Chandra was the face of 2020 and had three different placewalker cards. So everybody was expecting that Teferi uh, would get the same treatment. 
Yeah, we were. Because it seems like they'd, they'd go for like consistent branding, I guess. Consistent marketing. Yeah, yeah for sure. Know. But they didn't, so it's fine. No, they didn't. They just printed 45 versions of the same <laughs> yeah. one. It's all the same Teferi, but it looks kind of different. I mean, to be fair, this yeah. Teferi is also not... It's a good card, and I think it's as good as a Mythic Blue Planeswalker should be, but it's not uh, anywhere near as problematic as the previous iterations of that card. Yeah, fully agree. Fully agree. No matter how much I love them. Uh, and finally, for Core 2021, is that players expected more mechanical ties to the face of the set. Yeah. So it said that Teferi has one Planeswalker card, a cycle of five monocolor legendary creatures thematically tied to him in a vertical cycle of spells, uh, but all of the other monocolor Planeswalkers do too. So it said that a lot of players expected more than that. Uh, again, it seemed to stem from a belief that there'd be three different Planeswalker cards at Teferi, uh, and that people were comparing him to Nicol Bolas being the face of the core set, and the fact that you had you know the cycle of the other Elder Dragons as well, and there was no real story or interconnect with with Teferi other than you know the, what what very little there was. Yeah, I do find that I I think I agree with that. Like they did kind of market it or at least suggest that it would be core set Teferi, right? Yeah. And then it's just it's just core twenty one, and Teferi has some cards in there in the same way that Garak and Chandra do, right? Yeah, I think because they they'd already set a precedent with the the core sets coming back that there was going to be a, such a strong theme tied to to one particular character that the same thing was going to be true of Teferi here so uh, yeah I think people were again a bit, bit of miscommunication people were expecting one thing and then they got something slightly different yeah I don't think that's a huge problem I mean it's just that just plays into what's his continued poor PR basically yeah fully agree yeah so we got our, our final final segment for the year is Jumpstart so for highlights he says that players love the concept again i fully fully agree with that one not much to say there it, it it's great i think magic has, has needed this product for for a very long time mm-hmm, yeah. i think this is kind of the the perfect thing that you can you can direct new players and casual players to somebody who doesn't necessarily want to want to build a deck or want to learn or get into magic into too too much depth but want to kind of explore how to play the game there you go, a couple of jumpstart packs, shuffle them together, this is how you tap lands, this is creatures, this is spells, off you go. I think Magic has needed this product for a long time and I'm very glad it's here. Yeah, I think I agree with that assessment. Uh, and then he also says that players enjoyed the variety of themes. I wouldn't know, really, <laughs> considering we, yeah. you know, and, and you know, it's it's unavoidable from that point of view, it, it, it's not really fair to discuss it in terms of this conversation, but yeah, we don't really know what Jumpstart is because it doesn't really exist in Europe. <laughs> so, but yeah, from, from what I've heard from people in the States, it seems great, and people are enjoying it, and looking through the spoiler and stuff, it, it seems uh, like a hit, really. Yeah, um, for sure. The design, is, the design is really good, and some of the new cards are really, really cool. Some of them might be slightly problematic, uh, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I agree. Like, the variety does seem good. Like, you could just, you know, random, stick your hand in a booster box, randomly pick out two packs shuffle them together and every time you do that it's probably going to be different so that's great that's always good and then we move on to the lessons for jumpstart is there's not enough of it so we yeah. said because of pandemic issues the first print run was smaller than expected uh, but he promises that there's there's more coming uh, but that was the biggest complaint he got about jumpstart is that it's just not accessible there just isn't enough of it out there yeah sure and i think it, it's it would be in poor taste to be annoyed with what's in any way about yeah. that. Fully, fully agree. 100%. Like they've said, yeah. you know, they've said multiple, multiple times now that the product is, is print to demand. Uh, I think this is this is one of those times where print to demand actually does mean print to demand, given that the fact that they 
they had to build specific printers to print Jumpstart. Um, and yeah, so it, it's not printed at the same place or in the same way as their traditional standard sets or even like supplementary sets. So I, I do think that this is a product that they could, you know, as long as there is a demand for, just keep pumping it out and pumping it out. Once those those infrastructures, once those yeah, supply infrastructures get back into some sort of good shape. Yeah. Yeah. So 100% <laughs> like do, don't go buy a Jumpstart booster box for like two hundred pounds. Like it's just just wait, just wait. You don't need to, you don't need Jumpstart that yeah. badly. And don't buy a Muxus or an Alice or a Shepherd for sixty pounds, yeah. please. Or a tiny Bonds for like eighty quid or whatever. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Just, just don't, don't. Just wait, just wait. You'll get them. You'll get them at a good price. They will be the price of normal supplementary mythics soon enough. Yeah. And then finally, our final point is that uh, the themes you wanted weren't there. This is what he said. So he says that. Uh, Magic has got a lot of themes, but there were only so many slots it could fill, uh, and each deck has a certain requirement that not every theme could meet. But he does end by saying that he'd love to hear what themes were missed, and that uh, if if they were to make another Jumpstart product, that they would like to know what what people would like to see in there. Aren't there like fifty themes? S- something like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. yeah. I think there's like forty or something in total, but some of them are like the same theme repeated like there's three there's like three or four variations on some of the themes sure okay yeah i mean i guess it's a fair criticism but like <laughs> it's, it's it no i don't think that's fair at all like they've put as much in as they can yeah. and like they can't hit everything yeah that's, i, I feel yeah that's just that it, it you know it's a bit of magic players complain complaining about the way the five dollar bill on the booster pack is folded yeah, like, you can't have everything all the time. That's how everything in the entire world works. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> you, like, I understand why it's frustrating that, you know, you didn't get your specific theme that you wanted, but that's also how magic specifically and the entire world works. Yeah. Stop being an entitled weirdo. Yeah. Fully agree there. So, yeah, I think I think overall that was a really, really good state of design article. Um, I think... Again, there are there are similar themes to to 2019's article as well. Um, when you you talk about the lessons and all of the mistakes they've made, and you know we we, we all know all of this. We all know all of the things that that he, he's written about in the article. But it is it's just that thing again where it's it's just really nice to see them acknowledge the mistakes and acknowledge that you know, where they can they are they're doing what they can to to correct those mistakes. Because I think that's at least for for me, it's the thing that's that's taken the biggest hit in the, in the past twelve months is just consumer confidence in Watsy. Like, I a lot of the time, a lot of the time, I found it very very difficult to to believe anything they've said, and I felt incredibly cynical about just about the game, about about you know communication from Watsy, and even about members of staff who work at Watsy at Watsy, and it's. It's something that I think is is quite understandable when they've had so many misses and so many mistakes, but just seeing them laid all out here like this is it, it's something that does go does go away to repairing that damage, doesn't it? I think it's the one thing they're good at. <laughs> Apologising, <It's>, yeah, <laughs> acknowledging mistakes. Well, then again, one of their most recent apologies or acknowledgements was not so great, but we digress. Yeah. yeah, in terms of the game and the actual playing of Magic the Gathering with pieces of cardboard or with pixels, they are good at holding themselves accountable and striving to try and do better. (laughs) I guess. Yeah, definitely. Even, yeah, that's it. Like, they're 
they're a company who shows that they're they're willing to try, they're willing to listen. And I, I think I don't think a lot of companies would would care. I think it's quite interesting. Um, uh, the professor from Tulare Community College did it. A, a podcast recently with um, somebody who's quite a big big name in the Yu-Gi-Oh world and seeing them seeing them talk about Wizards of the Coast and comparing them to, to Konami and the interactions that players get from the companies and players in the two games it, it seems to be completely different the fact that Konami have little to no interaction with their players at all whereas you know like I can I could tell you I could tell you the, the names of, of about literally dozens of people that work at Wizards of the Coast like not every company is like this at all, and they, they do listen. They, they absolutely do listen. It might take them a long time to to make changes and, and to listen to the, the really take on board the feedback, and, and sometimes they, they just might completely disagree, but they, they do listen, and I think that's, that's something to always remember, something important to remember, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think... <clears throat> For all of their pitfalls, I think we're very lucky to have a company that at least tries to put as much effort as they can to please their players. Because yeah. um, there are a lot of games and a lot of companies that just don't care and will just pump out product because they know that someone will buy it. And there has been a certain feeling of that with WotC, with Arena, and just like, well, we'll just we'll just do stuff and you know we'll get new players and they'll they'll play it eventually. But they do care about the core demographic at least to a certain extent, or at least to address us. They're willing to yeah definitely talk to us to a certain extent. I think there's there's a lot of, of quite clear. I don't know if conflict's the right word, but it's the one that I'm gonna gonna go for. There's a lot of quite clear conflict between Wizards of the Coast and and Hasbro, and I feel like it's it's quite easy to see when Hasbro makes a decision that Wizards of the Coast might not have made in the past, or might not even necessarily agree with at every level, but are obligated to do because because of the parent company i think when you you look at stuff like um yeah i think so something that i've been thinking about recently is the the global series so the global series uh jang yanggu and, and mu yanling decks that they did mm-hmm. yep uh, mm-hmm. they were specifically designed for a chinese market and were legal in standard in china only like I think at the time I, I thought, oh, that's a really cool idea. They're doing these these specific sets themed around and for like places in the world. Like, oh, maybe in the future we'll see uh, like a like an Australia focused set or like a Brazil focused set. That's cool. But I think given what I understand about how global markets in in hobbies and games work, that one hundred percent looks like, oh, how can we just just milk China for a load of money. <laughs> like we're looking at yeah. we're looking at stuff like you know we're we're looking at how like companies like Tencent do things. How can we play into that? So let's let's release exclusive Chinese products, and then couple that with the like the the apology article that they they posted about um, about Nissa and Chandra specifically. You couldn't view that article if you were in Russia or China. So I I do think there is a lot of a lot of stuff that we're seeing happen in, in you know, video games, AAA video games especially, uh, Hasbro are very much mirroring, and I don't know if that's something that Wizards of the Coast, as a as a lone entity, would necessarily agree with. But that's not something that they're ever gonna 
come out and say because they they are owned by this this big parent company. Yeah, it, it, it muddies the waters certainly yeah. on a lot of things, unfortunately. And I guess it's a decision they've made. And it's just the world in which we live, where those things have to be relevant at some point, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, definitely. These issues are going to happen. I think that's it. I think you know it's the the state of magic twenty twenty, state of design twenty twenty. I think you know I think we we both agree that things could be a lot better, but it's good that they're acknowledging the mistakes they've made and hopefully we see the we see the changes and the fixes sooner rather than later but ultimately fuck capitalism oh yeah 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 that i mean i think anyone listening to this podcast knows our stance on that <laughs> yeah <laughs> capitalism is the source of all the world's ills and uh it's ruining everything even in a stupid little car game unfortunately but they in the i mean in the grand scheme of things this is one of the things that capitalism has ruined the least yeah, agree, agree. <laughs> I think that's quite a, a good, good note to end yeah, on this probably. week. So, <laughs> so, roughly all we have time for this week. Uh, if you've enjoyed what we've talked about today, uh, come let us know know your feelings. How do you feel about the the state of design article? Did you did you read it? What were your takes? How do you feel about the state of design in 2020? Come hit us up on social media on Twitter. We're at hfdcast, facebook.com/hfdcast. Or if you really enjoyed the show and want to give back a name and monetary value at all, you can hit us up on Patreon. We are patreon.com slash devastation. Where tiers start from as little as $1 per month. That's roughly 20 to 25 cents per episode. But, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a huge recession again during a global pandemic when there are a lot of injustices going on in the world. Your, your money is, is probably far better suited elsewhere. Yeah, I don't know how many times I can say give your money to black people, but, but do that. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. Uh, please give your money to people that need it. Uh, you can find the podcast on SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes and Stitcher. Does that sound right? That sounds right to me. Cool. If you want to go to one of those platforms and give us a review or a rating or just share it with people, it helps us get out to more people and we'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. If you want to help me up on my own personal social media, on uh, Twitter, I'm at PeachGardenOaf. Over with an F. Facebook, I'm Joe Loudon. You can find me in pretty much any of the magic groups. And then I'm also streaming on Twitch, so it's twitch.tv slash peachgardenoaf. I'm going to be streaming magic every Friday night. Uh, I'm going to be doing what I'm calling Friday Night Magic. It's going to be different every week, and just tune in, give me a follow, see what I'm, what I'm up to this week. So last week I did a Double Masters draft and opened a Double Masters box. Uh, this week I'm probably going to play some Armageddon Remastered, or maybe I'll play some Historic. But yeah, I'm definitely down for doing some strange things. Like in the future, I've definitely got some some chandelier planned, and I'm also going to do a magic duel speed run. Sweet, well, that's like ten minutes. I'll just be to lower the first level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. If you for some reason don't know how bad capitalism and the Tories are, you can follow me on Twitter at snail69. Nice. Thanks. That's it. I have no nothing else to say. Awesome. So that's pretty much all we have time for this week. Uh, once again, we're approaching the second hour. The Cod has returned, so we'll see you again next week on Arrow Devastation. <laughs>